Are you ready to perform at your highest potential? Welcome to the Performance Matters podcast from GP Strategies, your talent transformation partner. In each episode, we'll interview industry experts and explore best practices and innovative insights to help your organization improve performance. Hello, and welcome to the Performance Matters podcast. I'm your host, Michael Thiel. You know, listeners, I've been doing some thinking lately about a topic that I'm sure that most, if not all of you, are actively invested in, and that's (laughs) e-learning. I bet that's a pretty fair assumption, right? You see, in the world of organizational learning and development, e-learning in its many forms remains a central and continuously growing piece of the puzzle. But you know what? It's not enough to just make what my team calls stuff and things. And by the way, I'm putting air quotes around stuff and things. It's not enough to do that if you're interested in having your learning investment translate into meaningful performance. You know it, I know it, with the pace of change today in today's marketplace, you cannot afford to churn out ineffective e-learning for your team. So if you're like me, you're thinking, okay, as a buyer, supplier, or developer of e-learning, what should I be on the lookout for? What are the danger spots that we need to navigate? Well, my friends, our guests today on the Performance Matters podcast believe there are seven challenges that must be navigated when designing effective learning experiences. Here to share their insights from the GP Strategies Learning Experience team are Andrew Jolly, Head of Strategy for GP Learning Experience, and Jeff Bloom, Principal Consultant for GP Learning Experience. Gentlemen, thank you for carving out time today for our listeners. How are you doing? Very good. Thanks, Michael. Great to be back. It's awesome to see you, Jeff. I I don't know if we've officially met, but it's really nice to meet you over the magic of the internet. Yeah, it's great to meet you too, Michael. Now, you two have come up with seven challenges that need to be navigated or overcome or gauged with to make effective e-learning. Would you two mind putting your professional bios, just put yourselves in context for our listeners here? Sure. Okay, Andrew, how about let's start with you just for our listeners that are like, hey, I've never met Andrew. What's your background? My background is e-learning. I've been more than two decades in this business, and I feel like I've completely grown up with e-learning and the way it's changed over that time. I started out before that in media, in TV broadcasting, in branding and came into what was an early form of digital learning. I I suppose back then it was called CBT or something like that. It's changed, you know, it feels like monthly since then. Uh, (laughs) It's been a really exciting journey. I've worked with Jeff uh, for a lot of that time and we've we've worked with many many different customers many in many different sectors using every kind of digital trick we can find some things as we'll hear I think in the next uh, few minutes together have changed and other things haven't changed much so uh, there's a lot to talk about <laughs> we will tr- I'll try and keep it uh, succinct for everybody but it's really nice to be here thanks awesome And so, Jeff, I heard that you have the, I guess, pleasure of working alongside Andrew for a while. What's your background? Yeah, definitely a pleasure. I've worked in what we call digital learning or e-learning 
for about four decades. I know I don't look old enough. Oh, so okay, four enough. decades. <laughs> when I started, it was definitely called CBT or computer-based training, and we've gone through a lot of changes. So actually, in terms of what we now call e-learning, as Andrew said, there are some similarities from when we started in this business, but um, there's also been a lot of changes along the way, You know, whether it's moving from green screen, mainframe computer-based training through to <laughs> CD-ROMs or the internet or mobile phones or you know the, some of the stuff that AI is starting to give us now. But it was really interesting to look at the seven challenges of e-learning in the business because some of them have always been there and some of them have kind of become more complex as we moved along. Yeah, I've been in the business a long time, worked in many different sectors, worked with Andrew for about 15 years, and we've worked on some great stuff together. Yeah, it's, it's really nice to be on this call. I'm more of a creative designer type person, but I'm doing the math here. And we have at least between the two of you, so I'm going to say 70 years of digital learning experience, whether that's with laser discs or those little floppies that you have to used to have to put in computers. So uh, we're going to squeeze a lot of learning juice and a lot of wisdom out of you two here. Now you've come up with seven challenges. I know that you two could probably wax on about these for hours. Sounds great. I just want to come back to something that you mentioned, which was how do we come up with these lists? Okay. Yeah. We came up with them independently. And obviously, we worked in the business a long time, so these are things that are kind of persistent themes that we encounter. They weren't identical, but there was a fair degree of overlap. And in fact, once we rationalized the list, we realized that we were calling some things that were pretty much the same thing just by different titles. So there was a lot of agreement. So I'm curious, I picture you two like uh, playing Battleship and you both have your computers, you're facing each other. You'll like this, Michael. When we started out, we said, well, how many of these are we going to have? And we picked seven, I think, because there's a great radio program in the UK called Desert Island Discs, where celebrities come on and they have to choose the seven tracks that they would take to a desert island. So it's all, you know, it's a, it's a format that's been going for many decades. It's a great format because you get to hear new music and hear celebrities or writers talk about their favorite music. That was your thing, Andrew. Mine was a bit more learning geekery, actually. There's, a, there's a learning psychologist, a guy called Pitiel Draw, but it's it's something that's kind of a well-known a well-known thing within learning design. Where I'm going is, is is that, you know, in most learning programs, you can only really expect learners to remember between sort of seven and nine really important things. Ooh. I'm writing all these down. I've written down this desert deal. I'm writing down that seven to nine important things. I mean, this is a little cheat code for me to have these conversations. So let's talk about the first one. So Andrew, I'm going to, I'm going to spin it over to you first here. Um, what was the first challenge? First, I'd say th these are not in order of importance. The first one is engagement. What's the challenge here? Well, digital learning, e-learning is something that is being delivered to learners when they are busy. Whenever you look at who the audience are, the first thing that comes up is that they're doing something else. They've got something else on their mind, <laughs> in their lives, and the learning is something that's coming into that world and trying to take space from all the other things they're doing. We need to connect with them. We need to deliver learning that works and if we don't engage with them, we don't have any chance. We don't even we don't even get off the 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 bottom rung of kind of building change in their behaviors, in their performance, in their ways they think, in their ability to do things. Engagement is the number one challenge. So how do we do yeah. this? What do you do about it? Yeah. This 
in my mind, has been the kind of emerging story over so many years of developing e-learning. In the broadest sense, I think you have to think about engaging and connecting with people in the way that they want. You know, it can be a mixture of all sorts of things. Great e-learning is, is both entertaining and informative. It helps you do something. It gives you stuff that enables you to perform better and so on and so on. We often talk about thinking about the head, the heart, the hand with designing great e-learning. The head and the hand are about the practical and logical needs. And you get your learner to really believe that this is going to be useful. They're going to engage with it. The heart is about playing on emotion, maybe touching more of the kind of entertainment and experience side of things, but developing ways of keeping people engaged and connected and to some extent enjoying what they're doing. And there are so many tactics from that, using different media, thankfully blended learning experiences and thinking about how to develop interaction. A lot of great e-learning sort of started with we called it interactive learning back in right the day. Yeah, absolutely and it was about how do you build the kind of human connection or even touch on building the human connections that we have between each other into a digital learning experience and so i think that's a kind of ongoing theme engagement how to build connection with our learners and keep it there so that they they stay tuned in and get the real value that we're creating for them yeah. And, you know, Jeff, I'm sure that you probably have some thoughts on this one, too. That's a lot of great insight there from Andrew. What's your perspective on engagement? Yeah, I think um, engagement is incredibly important, uh, as Andrew does. But engagement for me is, you know, are you engaging with it in, you know, mentally? Are you, you know, is it meaning something to you? And most importantly, and something that's closely aligned to engagement for me, is it memorable and is it applicable? Mm. You know, you might engage with a computer game because you're having fun with it. That's engaging. Um, but actually, is it something that's transferable? Is it something that will lodge in your memory? Is it something you can bring back when you need it? And so engagement for me is is lots of different things. It can be fun, but it can also be just something that stays with you because you've emotionally engaged with it. It's one of the things I mm. talked about earlier on. Storytelling is a great way sometimes of getting engagement. Stories are one of those techniques that are also quite memorable. So I think engagement and memorability are really importantly closely aligned. And really good learning is the stuff that, you know, you enjoy doing and you participate in fully. Right. And as a result, you remember it and then you can bring it back when you need it. Yeah, I, I can see that. You know, I've always thought about the mind as a, like a, a tape recorder, right? And it, as Andrew's probably thinking here, if you if you haven't engaged that head, you haven't turned on the, the tape recorder and yeah. you're not getting that part going there. So I can see how as you're as the GP learning experience team is looking to design content, that's the first thing on your dartboard that you're going to be looking at. Is that fair to say? It is. So that's one. I think engagement is a key thing. It sounds like that our, our listeners need to be putting on their dartboard, whether it's number one or number seven, it's on there. What's number two? What's the second challenge that we need to navigate and engage with? Andrew? The second one does relate to engagement. I call it relevance. The opposite of highly relevant is kind of one size fits all. And that's the, mm. that's the challenge that we face with developing e-learning. The pressure to deliver a consistent experience globally can often lead to a sort of one size fits all strategy. 
as soon as you start entering into that area, you are delivering not relevant learning experience. Right. However, it's a kind of goal that all e-learning is entirely relevant to everybody, that it is just for me. You know, we talk mm -hmm. about just in case, just in time. And our kind of nirvana, our highest goal is entirely a just for me learning experience. So what do you do about that then? If that is the perfect thing you want, what are some tips that you have for our listeners on how to address this yeah. one size fits all challenge? Yeah. The other phrase, by the way, we use in terms of what we're aiming <laughs> for is a sort of zero waste. I'm saying um, that too, zero waste. Zero waste learning, it's very resonant when you're talking to the people who are buying from us because you don't want to waste people's time and you don't want to waste the company's valuable budget in creating learning that isn't useful for everybody. So what do we do? It often comes under the term, the broader term, personalization. Personalization of digital learning can be many different things. On one level, it's making sure that it's, well, that it's relevant and updated. Um, because there's nothing less relevant than something that's out of date, that's not fresh, that was created three years ago and isn't appropriate yeah, now. It feels like uh, you're you're looking at Netscape Navigator or something like yeah, that. And then yeah. you're like, okay, this is going to be fun. So rule one is make sure okay. it is entirely relevant to, to, to okay. everyone. Then you start to go, right, okay, are there different cohorts that could benefit from different versions of this? And we do a lot mm. of tested sets of content that you can derive from a few questions to do with perhaps role or territory or specific learning needs, whether a learner needs to do one of three or four different slightly different versions of an e-learning package or a digital package. Straight away, you're giving them something that is much more relevant to them maybe each package only differs by 10-15% of the content, but at least it is it is focused on their needs. Now, and I know that we'll probably touch on because everybody would, AI um, at some point in this conversation. What? <laughs> what? <laughs> the possibilities are to take what was quite a broad sort of approach to personalization into something much more focused. There's terms like adaptive learning that uh, we've been hearing for the last five to 10 years, which is very much more smarter, technically uh -huh. driven approaches to making sure the learning experience that each learner gets is absolutely tailored to their needs. And then AI potentially allows us the route to really, really giving us what we need when we need it. And it never being the same, even for us right. into the learning in one month's time, it wouldn't necessarily be the same. So anything we can do to drive every digital learning experience to be more personalized and more relevant is important. So battling the one size fits all, going more to a, a personalized tailored approach based on the the subset or the cohort that's taking it is a is a big thing. Jeff, I'm curious your thoughts on this as well since I know you two have lined up your two battleships <laughs> and you've uh, you've lined up yours what are what were your thoughts when you two were mixing on talking on this one personalization for me is a really important thing because you know any business person will say any way that you can reduce waste is a good thing if learners are spending an hour more than they need to on learning and there's a thousand of them that's a thousand hours lost so personalization is good from a business point of view as well but i think that there's there is contextual element to this as well and then when you're looking at something like just in time versus just in case i would like my airline pilot to be able to deal with a few just in case things 
<laughs> I would like to be pretty confident that there are some things that are pretty critical and I wouldn't want necessarily to give a lot of learner discretion in terms of, you know, them deciding what to learn and what not to learn. That's an extreme example, of course. And, you know, most learning, I think learner discretion is a good thing. And Andrew talked about how we sometimes use, we sometimes do the analysis to sort of determine the different roles and kind of almost push to the learner options around what they have and what they don't have. I think one of the things that AI gives us, one of the things that search engines give us is learners have a lot of discretion about what they choose. And so to make that easier, a couple of practicalities that we can do is make sure that things are sufficiently granular. If we're giving the learner something and they get it in a sort of an hour-long piece, mm. even if it's branched and filtered, they've not got a lot of discretion how they use it. If, they, if we give them 12 five-minute pieces, they can go, well, I need that one, I need that one, I need that one. Right. Giving learner choice, I think, is yeah. a really nice form of personalization. Oh, I, I don't that. want to give my new pilot a lot of choice. Um, but <laughs> <Right>. I, <laughs> you, want, you want to ensure some level of universal proficiency with that pilot, hopefully. Yeah. Um, but if he's learning how to fly a new plane, then he probably doesn't need to learn the basics or she. I'm liking a couple of things I'm hearing from you two in terms of what's coming and what's already there is using AI as a way to basically turbocharge personalization. Not just you can free up and add a, almost like capillaries. You can have a lot more personalization routes versus just here's a branching one, two, and three, that kind of thing. So that's an exciting thing. I, I just love the fact that the GP learning experience team is thinking about this, but we're only at two right now. You promised us seven. <laughs> what was the third challenge that we needed to look at? So usability has just become more and more important over the years. So you can't learn anything. You can't get to it for a start and people can get to mm. learning in lots of different ways. You know, we often use the term digital learning because it needs to work on their laptop. It needs to work on the desktop. It probably needs to work <laughs> on their phone. It needs to work where they've got good bandwidth or not so good bandwidth. It needs to work if they, if they haven't got audio, or if they have got audio, or if they've got accessibility requirements. And so in terms mm. of a user experience, we work with clients that are increasing, well, you know, many, many global clients. They speak different languages. They operate in different cultures. They have different levels of ability. The bigger the audience gets, the more we've got to make sure it's a really good user experience. We've got to make sure that the learner doesn't give up before they even get to the learning. We've got to make sure that if they are trying to do the learning on their phone on the London Underground, that they can still do it because they, <laughs> you know, it works without having a signal, you know, if that if that's part of the learning requirements. So usability is a critical thing for me. And the larger the palette, the harder it is to create a coherent user experience. Oh, I can imagine. And sometimes, you know, clients will even have multiple learning management systems. So they'll have a learning management system in the States, they'll have a different learning management system in Europe, and the learning if it's globally distributed, it's got to work on both. There's a lot of challenges there, Jeff, but... There's a lot of challenges. What are some things that your team, uh, that the GP Learning Experiences team is doing about it, though? We break it down. So, for example, <laughs> we will look at things like accessibility. We'll make sure that, you know, that if there's visuals that they've got descriptions on them. We'll make sure that if there's videos, they're transcribed or subtitled or that they're subtitled in the right language. In terms of usability, it's not just about sort of whether you can get into it, but does it feel like it's right for you? If we're looking at a temperature control process, you know, if I start using Celsius and you only understand Fahrenheit, you know, that matters. <laughs> so cultural differences, translation okay. differences, we, we break it down into categories accessibility, navigational experience, mm -hmm. cultural experience, making sure that it's going to work on all the different devices that are deployed out there, or we tell people which device it's going to work on. And also that it feels as though it's relevant to you as a learner and to your organization. You're hitting on a lot of important things and user experience. That's a practice in and of itself. And I love the fact that you're saying that the GP learning experience team 
you've got specialists that are thinking about this from step one. It's not an afterthought that's part of the overall architecture. Now, Andrew, if you're like me, you probably have a couple of other things that are on the radar screen when it comes to usability. What are some of your thoughts on this one? I think that what Jeff has just talked about there is really, it's kind of table stakes, I think is a <laughs> phrase you would use yes, in the US. That's, that's, a, that's a US one. I like that one. Yeah. We need to take out every single possible blocker that a learner might come across. And I think what Jeff's talked about there is all of those. We then begin to step into a slightly different area, which is thinking about the particular audiences we might be delivering to. So we in the learning experience team recently did an amazing project we were very lucky to work on for Invesco called How Not mm. to Suck at Money. Yeah, it's really it was it. a awesome. great project, won loads of awards and is doing something very powerfully and importantly in the US, which is teaching young students how to look after their money and how to manage the complicated world of finances as a mm. young adult. But we quickly realized that to do this, we would A, need to create something deeply engaging, which plays on some of the stuff we've just <laughs> talked about. Yeah. But also, we're going to need to think about the way young people want to access content and are going to want to engage with this. And so we ended up creating very short modules. This you know relates to something Jeff was saying. Yes. TikTok-style video mini games and building on awards and badges and things like that. That part of the usability story was one of really understanding the particular learners that we were working with and making sure that what we were doing was exactly what they needed to use and engage with. Just the title itself is so exciting to hear that. It doesn't sound like learning. You know, you snuck mm. the, the broccoli in the casserole beautifully yep. with that. Yeah. I just wrote that down because I've got two teenage daughters. I'm going to link them to that and get their thought about that too. So thank you for yeah. that in advance. That's awesome. I'm doing my count here. We're at three. So far, you, you've dished on engagement, battling one size fits all with personalization, usability and the user experience, importance of looking at that really before you get too far down the road. What's number four? What's the fourth challenge that we need to navigate? This one is brand. I'm flipping over to the business perspective, really. The challenge is if you create e-learning that doesn't feel like it was invented for me in this organization right. that I work in, you immediately are putting up another one of those blockers. And the learner is going to go, no, I've just been given something that's really off the shelf that I have to do that's not correct. Very disengaging. I will, I'm raising my hand to testify. When, you, when you're when you at your company and you go, wow, this was definitely bought at the Amazon marketplace, you're like, okay. I can see Jeff already going to find that glass of beverage of whatever it is to get through this. So what are you doing about it, Andrew? But the thing, <laughs> the thing is, Michael, that you're missing a massive opportunity if that's what you do, because organizations are trying to engage with their learners. They're trying to build employee experience. They're trying to build relationships that last a long time. They're trying to keep their great people happy and engaged in their organizations. And you're missing a massive opportunity, which is mm. to create learning that feels part of the whole employee experience 
and that supports the cultural story and supports the subtle golden threads of your organizational mm. brand and messaging and so on and so on. So make sure your e-learning is on brand in every way. And I don't just mean the right colors and the right logo in the top left. Right. Yeah. I mean, speak in the right voice, use the right style, enhance the identity and the messaging in the visual experience, but involve the learners in the narratives of the organization always okay. use case studies and examples that they will relate to. Hmm. I know that you could well say, but this sounds, you know, this is expensive. The more customized your e-learning is, the more expensive it is. You can even take some kind of broader off-the-shelf e-learning and just tweak it, change certain components of it, make it a little bit more on style, on brand, and you're, you're going to get a long way in the right direction. So anything you can do to use that opportunity to connect better with your Very learning is going to help. It, putting out light bulbs in my mind, because I was even going back to what I was kind of making a joke about buying something on Amazon. Like What you're saying is you could even almost glide into it you could have that piece have some on-brand elements around it that maybe introduce it as a thought leader item and suddenly it's not wow this wasn't made for me it's more of hey you curated something brought it in but it's now i feel on brand that's kind of uh you're getting my wheel spinning there jeff what are some other considerations that we might have to think about with this one a lot of our clients increasingly are providing learning that's also going out to partners or even their customer base. How not to suck up money, you know, going out to mm -hmm. teenagers. The client that we did that for would probably be a little bit disappointed if people didn't go, actually, Invesco helped me manage my money better. <laughs> actually, associating, associating right. the, the learning you. with the organization kind of <laughs> is kind of useful, you know, and then people, you know, it builds a brand in the customer's mind or in the partner's mind or in the uh, intermediary's mind, you know. So that's, that's really important. The, the other thing is, is that something we said a bit earlier on related to personalization was some of our clients use sub-brands as well. So that if you're aiming something right. at a particular group of learners, new inductees, for example, you might have a different variation on the use of the brand for that group of people. Or if you're doing something for product specialists in sales, you might want to make sure that you're being really, really strong, not just on the brand, but everything that the brand means in terms of how you want them to communicate to the customer. You want to go brand heavy with those those people. The other thing, of course, is that, you know, we talked about engagement and we talked about memorability. And if you've always trotting out the uh, standard marketing version of the brand, you know, it's always photography, it's always using this font, actually shifting it a little bit and using the brand in a different way can suddenly make one program stand out from the others. Sub-brands can be quite interesting sometimes. Yeah, very cool. I haven't, I haven't very thought cool. of that. It's nice, Jeff. Yeah, I like that. Your battleship has a, you just put a little red mark <laughs> on Andrew's list there, so. Right down his brand funnel. Boom, got it. <laughs> All right, you haven't sunk the battleship yet here, so let's go to number five. What's our fifth challenge that we need to navigate when it comes to effective e-learning? The fifth challenge, Michael, is social. Again, what's the challenge here? Well, e-learning, digital learning, whatever whatever you call it, when it first came into our world, was really a very solitary experience. Oh, absolutely. We all know what it's like. I'm thinking of myself 20 years ago, sitting in front of a huge computer for 45 <laughs> minutes, doing something on my own entirely when I was being onboarded in, into an organization. Oh, yeah. Huge computer, tiny screen, right? Tiny screen. <laughs> Doing a course on how to sit 
straight at a computer. <laughs> um, ironic beyond belief. Anyhow, yes, so it has been a very solitary experience. And that was always one of the real failings in my mind. There are so many advantages to creating great e-learning um, in terms of getting learning out there and consistency and value and everything. But one of the disadvantages was always that people learn best from and with other people. So the solution yeah. from us, constantly be thinking of how to build out the social experience. Yeah, what are some ways that you attack that? What are some ways you address it or bring in the power of social learning? Yeah, thankfully, we're all connected. All our computers these days and our, and our digital experiences <laughs> are basically, it's a world of connection. So in fact, in this age, it comes easy and we can build in connections and social learning and ways of people learning together in cohorts and sharing content and so on and so on. It's not just about designing the learning to involve people together. I think there are subtle things you can do as well. You can use things like surveys to show that your part of this learning experience is mm. connected with everyone else's as well. You can, if every time you answer a question or interact or make a choice in a scenario or a game, you can, for instance, see how everyone else behaved. You oh, naturally yeah. feel part of a bigger experience and bigger journey, even though you're not directly connected with necessarily all those people. So there are subtle things you can do to make e-learning feel more social, even though you're not connecting directly with other wow. people. Now, Jeff, are there any, uh, you know, models, any type of approaches that our listeners can use to basically codify this or take some action, any frameworks? Yeah, um, it's funny because social doesn't automatically happen unless you, you know, <laughs> can do if you're lucky. But it's always a good idea to try and design it in. And um, I'm a big fan of a lady called Julie Salmon, who has a five stage mm. model, which are things that you need to take care of if social is going to happen. And, okay. you know, we often want social to happen in places like discussion forums or in you know virtual classrooms things like this but in order to make it happen you have to kind of create a reason for the social to take place and what i like about jilly's model is that she makes sure all the ingredients are there for it to be able to happen. what we're doing right now you're right my head is kind of exploding with fireworks because when we say social is powerful, we're feeling it right here. And, you know, just sharing these ideas. And I love the fact that the GP Learning Experience team is pulling this lever that you're looking at this, you're thinking about it, and you've got actual structure and value to add to our clients here. So I'm getting a lot of value. Thank you for that. You know, we're only at five. We have two more to go. This is an extravaganza. Uh, Jeff, I'm going to put you on the spot. What's number six on your e-learning battleship construction here? Number six, measuring impact, but I mean, you could call it, what's the point? Why are you doing this? Why are you introducing this learning intervention? Hopefully you're doing it in order to meet a business requirement or a personal requirement of some sort, making sure that somebody's got the capability to do their job. One of the things I'm really passionate about, and a lot of my colleagues at GP are really passionate about, in fact, I think your podcast last week dealt with this really nicely with Bonnie Beresford. Oh, thank you is the, the whole thing of, of measuring impact. You know, making sure all of the stakeholders are in agreement in terms of why we're doing the intervention. Are we doing it to get people up to speed quicker? Are we doing it to um, make sure that people fit well into our culture or, you know, embrace our culture or, or appreciate or understand our culture? Are we doing it to make sure that we sell things in a consistent way? Are we doing it to increase sales, to improve safety, to 
to reduce risk, to reduce waste. Why are we doing it? And does everybody understand why we're doing it? And as long as we have that, then first of all, we can design something that's going to have a fighting chance at delivering the reason we're doing it. And secondly, if we're really clever about it, we might identify the improvements that we want to make and see whether we can connect the learning outcomes that we want to achieve to the behavior we want people to adopt applying it within the business and creating a particular hmm. impact. You know, not everybody can do all of those things, but right. the idea of is the learning efficient? Is it effectiveness? Is it creating impact? And also we to come back to that usability thing. Is it something that, that everybody can experience uh, fairly? Is it equitable? Do people who are based in one country get as much out of it as people who are experiencing it in another country? All of those things, you know, we can sometimes find ways of measuring. Knowing why we're doing it, identifying the impact that we're trying to achieve, and wherever possible, measuring that those things are taking place is something that, that is, a, is a challenge. But for, for sort of important strategic programs, I think it's a challenge worth taking on. Yeah, for sure. And, you know, you did put in a little plug, and I appreciate that, Jeff, for a past episode, you know, if, if someone's scrolling through the Performance Matters podcast library, that would be the episode right before this one, talking about measurement with our very own Bonnie Beresford, PhD. Yeah, she was the inventor, of, for those that haven't listened, of a fantastic diagnostic tool that we can put into play called the measurement map. Isn't that correct? Absolutely. And that's something that, you know, we think is really important to implement. Right. And the nice thing about that measurement map is people sort of talk about, it, can there be a really true relationship between learning and <laughs> the impact of that learning? And <laughs> if you construct the measurement map in the right way, you can demonstrate a causal chain of evidence it's not necessarily a completely closed off pure chain of evidence, as I think Bonnie said. It shows that, that learning are there to make a difference to the business. And there is a chance of showing that learning really has made a contribution. Andrew, so what are your thoughts? Why is this on your list? Jeff is the measurement expert, I have to say. <laughs> um, so I haven't got much to add to that. But I think that great e-learning design starts with thinking about what success looks like. How would we know when we see it? And that really is the beginning of the whole measurement conversation. Yeah. I call that sort of measurement in mind. Even if you're not specifically talking about how we're going to measure this in reality, you can still be thinking about how you would, because that's going to drive the really most effective design route. And it's at the kind of heart and DNA of any good learning design practice as well. I just absolutely furiously scribbled that on my yellow pad. What does success look like? And then how will we know when we see it? I picture if you put up a whiteboard, whether it's on a digital whiteboard or a good old fashioned whiteboard, those would be two great things to put up before you've gotten into an e-learning journey and just to keep those top of mind right there. And I will put a, just a subtle plug in here, you know, for a, a culture at GP Strategies, when I came on board about, it's hard to believe it's three and a half years ago, but I was struck by how much measurement is top of mind here within our organization. You know, as a creative type person, it's easy for me to race off and start thinking about all the things you're talking about, brand and sizzle, and to hear people saying, okay, like Andrew, what are we trying to achieve? How will we know when we see it? It's so valuable for organizations that are investing, you know, in many cases, millions of dollars to sit down and put this first top of mind and that testament to GP strategies. I'm glad that we have professionals like you, Jeff and Andrew, watching that wall to use a Game of Thrones reference. Hopefully that carries across the pond. <laughs> You're on the wall, baby. Just before we finish on that one, 
I think measurement should matter to organizations and mostly does matter to organizations. It doesn't always matter to learners and it doesn't always matter related to learning. And if I'm learning about ancient Egypt, I might be doing just because I'm interested in it. And sometimes there are a few things like that within organizations where you go, we could measure this, but is it really worth the time and the effort? When it's worth the time and the effort, then that's when to really focus on it and do it. Strategic measurement, right? We are getting on to, I believe, number seven here. So what would be the seventh challenge of these top seven that you two came up with? For me, it's closely related to usability and UX, but it's deployment. And it's something that's always been a challenge and it's about reaching the learners. And there's, there's so many different ways we can do this these days. I mean, the internet is so pervasive. Mobile phones are so pervasive. It's, a, it's still a real challenge for organizations, particularly membership organizations, actually, where mm, right. different people are using different devices, but also, you know, sometimes they'll have members that are organizations and they'll want their content to be deployed onto their own LMS as opposed to the sorts of subscription organizations, LMS. You know, global organizations with partners, long supply chains, distribution channels, remote workers in multiple locations. This is mm. where actually we bring in sometimes, we bring in our more technical colleagues. We start to consult with some of the platforms teams within GP strategies. Because sometimes our clients will find it really hard to get this content out there. And mm. maybe we've got ways we can help with that. You know, we have tools that will push content to for example, different learning platforms will test to see if content works on different mobile devices. Deployment, sometimes it's not an issue. You know, sometimes it's, we've got this LMS, everyone can access it through their laptops. We know what authoring tool we're going to use and uh, we're going to do it all in, in English. It's all fine. But, right. but sometimes it's not that simple. So it's still a challenge for global organizations with multiple partners sometimes to get the content out there. And that's where we kind of move beyond learning design and we work with our, I suppose, our more, more sort of platforms and technical colleagues. Absolutely. And it's, it's great that at GP Strategies, we have those type of personnel. You know, when it comes to a global organization, it's pretty cool that people have already solved a lot of these things. And it's, let's bring in the expert who has a proven solution for us on that end. So that's great. I know that's only one piece of deployment here, Andrew. What are some other considerations that we need to navigate when it comes to deploying content? I've always had a, a real interest in how we communicate learning, the kind of marketing, internal marketing of, of learning, because there's nothing more upsetting for anybody who works in the creation of great e-learning experiences than thinking that your the work you've been doing for the last few months is just sitting on a shelf somewhere and nobody, <laughs> right. nobody knows there, um, which I know happens. And so how do you encourage, how do we work with our partners, with our customers to encourage them to think about how to get the story out there, that there's some great learning and the benefits what's in it for them if they do it and so on and so on and think about releasing any new piece of learning as uh, like you're releasing the new netflix movie how are you going to get it out there and get people to connect with it to get people who have engaged with it and enjoyed it and got something out of it to talk mm. about what they got out of it and share that experience socially with their colleagues and then you build kind of momentum around a useful piece of learning in an organization and i know that does happen with high profile programs in our customers organizations like leadership because they're kind of put up on the top of the pedestal you know you want to try and encourage the same kind of activities around any good learning that you have in your organization i love this whole netflix analogy that you just mentioned is it's not just developing a great product but thinking and building into your plan right 
also the marketing of it, getting the endorsements in it. That is something that I guarantee listeners, if you're like me, are furiously scribbling. That is massive to put that on the list, right? Of your project plan is how are we going to uh, not only deploy it systematically and handle the technical challenges, but handle the share of mine, which we all know we're battling. So, okay, I'm going to recap this for the entire uh, listening group here. You two have dropped a lot of knowledge. The seven things were number one, engagement. Number two, battling the one size fits all mentality with personalization. Number three was thinking critically about usability and user experience. Number fourth was making sure everything's on brand. It feels like something that was made for you, that you're leveraging the power of social, you're measuring impact, and you're thoughtfully deploying your e-learning both from a technical, but also from a human marketing. That is an amazing, amazing list. I'm gonna just give you all a, a golf clap here. I'm dreaming about golf, even though I'm working today. You know, one thing we haven't even talked about though, we've touched a little bit on AI, but you know, I'd like just to hear a little more from you two. What are some other things that you're thinking about or the GP learning experience team is thinking about in terms of leveraging the new forms of AI that are coming out? Yeah, it's a good point actually, because I think, you know, AI is on a continuum, isn't it? You know, we've had things like sat navs and we've got things like, you know, search engines and search engines have got better over time. You know, one of the things of course is that it, it puts learning in, in the power of the learner and they can find out things and they can construct their own learning through use of search engines and increasingly through generative AI. We've got to be quite careful, of course, because you know, there's issues like IPR and, you know, if we're going to create content for a client, we need to make sure that we're not using things like generative AI to steal other people's content. Certainly, it is already being used for things like productivity gains, you know, for things like translation. It is obviously, of course, something that can help with, um, you know, gathering and interpreting data. So I think that um, it'll be very interesting to see how it progresses. We're seeing the generation of AI-generated imagery. There are things that we could use AI to generate that previously we would have to set up an elaborate photo shoot for. But again, mm. we've got to be make sure that we're not stealing other people's imagery in the process. Right. Yeah, there's, a, and by the way, again, another plug for the podcast, check back about four or five podcasts deep. We went on an AI rant for about three or four, a great one with Jeff Fissel and Matt Donovan about those type of considerations. So thank you, Jeff, for cross-promoting there. I appreciate that. Andrew, what are some things you're seeing when it comes to AI? What are some uh, bonus thoughts here for our listeners? I was just thinking about what we're talking about today, the, the challenges of delivering effective and engaging e-learning in business. You know, AI is going to help us, as Jeff has just touched on, potentially get good e-learning out faster of being able to react as a business to develop learning fast that's trustworthy and it's going to help us to access stuff you know we talked about accessibility and making sure everything's available well we've been doing some work with large organizations to use ai tools to develop metadata that mm. brings all 5,000 of their learning components into vision much more clearly <laughs> found by people who need them and cataloged in a way that previously would have taken weeks, if not years, if it would ever have been done, to bring bodies of content into a really kind of accessible, usable and useful place. So I think there's all of that kind of advantage really open to be taken in the future. It's very, very exciting. And of course, the personalization thing as well. We talked about zero waste, oh, getting closer. Right. To learning that's just for me and AI is going to bring closer and closer to that 
going to be very exciting. What I'm hearing, if I consolidate both of your your notes, there is really the GP strategies position is its human plus AI, and you are really using AI as a force multiplier. It's helping you. It's not the decision maker. It's accelerating presenting information for the human to make the critical decisions, or like you said, to add personalization that just wouldn't would have not been possible it would have just taken forever I mean, to do so that's very exciting to hear those coming think, coming down the pike yeah i mean there's something that plays out despite the fact that intelligence as part of the learning technology offer has been around for a while we're still early in the journey and if right. there's one thing that makes learning work and e-learning work it's trust you have to have absolute trust as a learner that the learning you're doing is the right thing for me to spend my time doing and I'm going to get the right answer that I can absolutely trust the content I'm engaging with. As the organization, they have to trust the learning is doing the right job for them to build their business performance and so on. So we have to be careful at this moment when people are talking about AI and hallucination and so on and so on. And we've all played with chat GPT in some form or another and seen what what amazing things it can do. But also we pick out the one anomaly that we get and go, oh, did have you seen what it's done here? This is really hysterical. You know, something like that is can pull you back from full trust. So at the moment, we just need to be very practical, very pragmatic very smart about how we use AI and it is that human plus AI that is the answer, will always be the answer. But right now it's very much, it's the mixture of right of those. Until the robots take over and then they might switch it over there. But mm -hmm. that's for a story for another day. Okay, so thank you first of all for your time. I wanna just close this chapter here as, as you two are settling into your evening and, and my day is just starting over here in California. If you had to um, have one thing to leave on, if you will, out of everything we've talked about today, I'm curious if you had to pick one thing for your listeners to walk away from, what would it be? Jeff, I'm going to put you on the spot. For me, it would be why? What's the point? Are you creating something that's going to have impact? Will you remember it? Will you be able to use it? And there's a lot of other things that enable that usability. Right brand all of those things enable that but why what's the point that would be my thing why are we why are we doing this and how can we make it stick andrew what's your one thing to leave on my one thing is learning for humans that's what we're doing here mm. so constantly think about you know engaging people as human beings what they need how does the usability work the brand, the stories that we want to tell. It's all about humans and that's what we're here to do. And so keep that always at the front of mind. Well, I just love every time I get a chance to uh, speak and engage with the GP learning experience team, it just makes me excited to be part of the GP strategies uh, overall organization. You all are doing some amazing things. I've been massive fans of your work. I can't wait to share how not to suck at money with my two teenage daughters so they can be financial at least get them on the way there so on behalf of the entire listening audience i want to thank you andrew and jeff for sharing so much insight today we certainly appreciate you the performance matters podcast is brought to you by gp strategies together we can create a world where business excellence makes possibilities achievable you can subscribe to the show anywhere you get podcasts or listen on our website at gpstrategies.com.